Hello and welcome to True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. Thanks for joining us for this lesson in our series, Who I Am, where we'll be studying the book of John and where we see that John is writing these things to everyone so they might believe and that in believing they might have life. In this awesome book where John presents the Messiah Jesus as God, we'll see lots of key truths and great application that we can apply to our own life. Well, thanks again for joining us. We hope that you enjoy this lesson. Today we're looking at the fifth sign, the fifth sign. Last week we looked at the fourth sign. This week we look at the fifth sign. So uh, I'm excited about it. Today we're going to be in three different passages of Scripture. So you can write these down. You can turn, if you have like multiple bookmarks, you can put bookmarks in them. We're going to be in John chapter 6, verse 15 through 21. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 through basically 33. And then Mark 6, 45 through 52. All of these have the fifth sign. Obviously in John it's the fifth sign. In these other books it's not the fifth sign because it's not organized that way. But today we're going to see that Jesus, um, after he gives that, we could say, small test to Philip and the disciples about the bread and where he's going to get the bread from, uh, we see a bigger test today. A lot bigger test. A test that um, we'll see some of them kind of failed, or at least Jesus says that they failed. And so we're going to look at it. I think from us, or for us, we can see today, or we can question ourselves, do we learn from our mistakes and our successes? Do we learn from our mistakes and our successes? Or another way to put that is, do you learn from your trials? Because if we're learning from our trials, then we should be getting better, growing closer to Christ through each one of those. And uh, as we do that, we'll trust God more and more in those trials as they come along. We'll see today that they didn't, they didn't pass the first one. They didn't, and Mark even says they didn't, they didn't really grow in the first one at all. And then they failed the second one. And we'll look at it. Uh, he showed himself, Jesus showed himself as the provider last week, and now he's going to show himself as the protector. Okay, he showed himself as the provider last week. This week he's going to show himself as the protector. And we're going to look at the three, we're going to look at three things about this test um, as we go through it. So hopefully you're there by now because I talked a lot to get to be plenty of time to get to John chapter 6. Let's look at verse 15. It says, So Jesus, perceiving that they intended to come take him by force and make him king, okay, the they is not the disciples, it's that big crowd that he just fed. So Jesus withdrew again into the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to stir up because of a strong wind blowing. Then, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near to the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land which where, or where they were trying to go. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we just come before you and thank you for this day you've given to us. Just pray that today as we look at uh, the trial of these disciples that we will take um, lessons from it, learn from it, learn from others, um, mistakes and successes, and then as we go throughout life, learn from our own uh, mistakes and successes as well. Learn through our trials so we can trust you more in our daily life. God, that's what I pray. Um, we love you, and we pray all this through Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the test opens, okay, with, and we're going to go through and we're going to look at this kind of context and stuff, but the test opens with them being 
alone. Okay, I have three different, I have all three up on the screen, but you can turn your Bibles if you want to. This is Matt, John, Matthew, and Mark. We're going to look at the test. Okay, the test opens with them being alone. Like I said, this is John. And we just read it, but Jesus perceiving that they were intending to make him king, basically, they're, they're going to come take him by force. He withdrew into the mountain. So Jesus, remember where are they at? Anybody remember? From last week? On the other side of uh, the Sea of Galilee? Yes, they're on the side of the Sea of Galilee. So uh, they're on the east side somewhere on the Sea of Galilee, and it's kind of mountainous. Remember how we showed the, how the Sea of Galilee is like down in a little like goalie kind of? Well, he decides to go back up further into the mountains to be alone okay, and to pray and to get with God, uh, which tells us a lot about Jesus, but we're not going to get into that right now, I guess, because I didn't talk, think about it until just now. All right, so now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. So Jesus goes up into the mountains, okay, and we see in the other passage, we'll see in a second, he dismisses the crowd while the disciples go down and get in a boat, and they start to cross the sea. Okay, so Jesus and the disciples are now split. Okay, they are no longer together, okay, which is important. And it had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them, and the sea began to stir up because of a strong wind blowing. Then they had rowed about three or four miles, and they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near to them on the boat, and they were frightened. So there's a storm out on the sea, and Jesus isn't with them yet up to this point. Okay, this is Mark. Okay, this is immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him. So after he feeds the 5,000, they get it all, they get all the baskets extra. He says immediately the disciples, they go down, and they get in a boat, and they're heading to Bethesda. Okay, so they're heading to the west side. Capernaum, Bethesda, we'll see. Guinnessant, they're on this west side where they're going. So that's where they head. While he himself sent the crowd away, so he's sending the crowd away, and after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Okay, so the boat's in the sea, and he's alone. Again, it says that they're not together. They're not with Jesus. And seeing them straining at the oars, so the wind was against them, about the fourth watch of night, he came into them, or he came to them, walking by the sea. And I love this part. And he intended to pass them by. So he's just going to walk right past them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out. Okay, this is Matthew now. Okay, remember, this is all the same account. He also says immediately. Immediately he made his disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. And while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. And the boat was already a long distance, it says, from the land. And it was battered by the waves and the wind, for the wind was contrary. And the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Okay, so I shared all three of these because they're all the same account. And the reason I share these for a lot, this is the test. Okay, the test starts out, though, with them being alone. Okay, and they're not really alone. Okay, because God's with them and Jesus is with them. And he ends up coming and saving them. We'll look at it. But uh, they feel alone. Okay, because they've been separated from Jesus. Jesus is up in the mountains and they're out on the water. Okay, so it's like Jesus has been with them this whole time. He's been with them, been with them. He just feeds all these, this crowd. He feeds 5,000. He's like, okay, I'm going to go by myself, and I'm going to send you guys off by yourself. Okay, and it's a test. It's a test to see if they're going to trust God or not. Now, it's still evening when they get out in the middle of the lake. We saw that in Mark. Okay, and I'm going to be saying things, and they're going to be from all three accounts, because if we get all three accounts and we put them together, it tells us a lot about this this um, event. And so it's still, um, or it's in the evening. We don't know what evening is there, but remember, this is spring. Okay? Why, how do we know it's spring? Anybody remember? Hunter, Jeremiah, you guys remember? Was it because of that time when he talked about the fields? No, no. 
it was Passover. Yeah. Good, Greta. It was the Passover. Okay, so it says the Passover's near. So I know. I know. Oh, you were asking a question? What's your question? No, okay. Okay, sorry. All right, so they, we know that the Passover time was near. Okay, and Passover's in the spring. So we know it's like springtime. So I looked up. When does the sun set in Israel in April? Okay, so it's about 7 o'clock, 7 p.m. Okay, and so we don't know what evening means. But we know they get out in the middle and it starts getting dark and it starts getting rough. Okay, a boat, a sailboat in that day, this is a very rough estimate. Maybe goes four to nine miles an hour. Okay, very rough estimate, but you could you can assume they can probably go four miles an hour. Okay, the sailboat and the route would probably be at least five miles. I would think. Here's a couple of maps for you. The one on the left, I showed it because see all those towns over there, Capernaum, Ginnison, and then Bethesda is actually we think possibly in between those two. But anyway, that's kind of where they're heading, and they're been over here, right? Somewhere over in here. This stretch right about here is six miles. This really, like, the widest part, kind of like right there, is about eight. Okay? So if they're somewhere right over in here, and they have to get up here, okay, you're looking at five to seven miles, maybe eight miles, uh, somewhere in there. So if they're, let's just say it's eight miles, which would be pretty long, and they go four miles an hour. How long should it take them to get across? Math problem. Incorrect. I'm just kidding. That's right. Two hours. Okay. So let's say it should take them about two hours to get across. We don't know. We're estimating all this. Okay. About two hours. Okay. If they're going to Bethesda. Okay. Which, quick note. Who's from Bethesda? That we talked about a long time ago. There are a couple. But Philip. Philip was from Bethesda. So if you, if you want to go back to John chapter 1. Don't do it right now, but if you want to go back to John chapter 1 and start studying, remember how uh, Brent talked about where Jesus was in John chapter 1 and all that travel time and all that stuff? Bethesda, we see here, is actually on the Sea of Galilee, which does make a difference in where Jesus was in all that um, a little bit. And so anyway, I'm, we're not talking about that today, but you can go back and look at that by yourself. Okay, so anyway, if they have to go two hours or so, we're going to see it says that it was several hours out on the lake that these guys were before Jesus comes out there. In fact, it was quite a long time. Look at, um, I wonder if I have, I'm going to go back to this one right here. Okay, this is Matthew. So if you look at it, he was there alone and says, but the boat, right there. Okay, but the boat was already a long distance from the land. In Mark, or in John, it says three to four miles. It was already three to four miles out into the trip. Okay, so it's, they're getting close. Got maybe a mile or two left. Um, and so they had that, and the wind became contrary, Okay. It battered, there was battered by the waves, the boat was, the wind became contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, what's the fourth watch of the night? Does anybody know just off the top of your head? I mean, you, you shouldn't know. It's kind of weird. We don't talk that way anymore. But it's, it's 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. Okay, so let's say the, they get in the boat at 7 when the sun is setting. Okay, because it said evening. And then it said they got out there in the evening or when it was dark. So 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m., they should be there. 10 p.m., 11 p.m., 12 p.m., 1 or a.m., 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. So they've been on the water for a minimum of eight hours, really. Okay, you could say, well, maybe later, maybe. Okay, so let's say they're on the minimum of six. Okay, but they could have been on there longer than eight hours. Okay, and why weren't they going anywhere? If you go back to Mark, it's because of the wind. Okay, uh, they were straining at the oars. For the wind was against them. Okay, so they should have already been there. 
But they've been out on the water for eight hours trying to get across. And if you know anything about storms or you've read any books about storms and boats, especially in that day, a lot of times you can't just run them aground. Because if you do, the boat's going to break up. Okay? And so they can't go forward. And it seems to indicate since they've been out there so long, they can't really go back either because they don't want to. They're, they're just trying to get it and they can't go anywhere. Okay, that's what he's saying. They, they can't go anywhere. The wind's against them. They can't go anywhere. And so they've been out there for a long time. They can't go anywhere. I couldn't find a good picture. This, I can't go find good pictures of anything okay, this week. But this is the Sea of Galilee when it's dark nowadays. Okay? So obviously none of those lights are there. There's none of that light pollution. So, but it's really dark. It's obviously calm out here. I wanted to find another picture of a, a, a storm on the Sea of Galilee, but there's no good ones. They're all like paintings okay? because they all paint the picture of this in the Bible. This is a storm on a different body of water. Okay, that I thought, you know, it's it's a lake, so it's going to have big waves like this, but it's not going to be like ocean waves. It's going to be a little different, and so, um, and it may not be rocky like this everywhere, but there may be some of that. But most of it's not going to be a lot rocky like that. But this is still a storm on a body of water that could be similar to the Sea of Galilee, and so they're out here in this stuff, and they're in a small boat, and they can't go anywhere. Okay, so you've been out there for eight hours. It's three a.m. Okay, and how are you feeling? Worn out, okay, because they, I mean, are they worn out because they had a motor and they're trying to steer the motor? No, what are they doing? Mark and Matthew told us they're rowing, okay, I'm, I'm rowing or rowing or some sort of rowing if you're kayaking, but they're rowing, okay, and they're rowing this whole time, okay, probably taking shifts because you have to be a real beast to row for eight hours against that, but they're probably taking shifts. They're probably hungry. We know that they ate. Earlier in the evening, they ate bread and fish, okay? But if I'm rowing for eight hours, I'm hungry. Maybe they had the 12 baskets left with them, and they could, like, snack on it, so maybe they're not too hungry. They're probably wet, okay, tired. And if I were them, I would be afraid because Jesus isn't with me anymore, right? Where's Jesus? On the mountain. He's up on the mountain, okay? So they, they probably can't see him, but he might be able to see them, which is interesting because he's kind of up on a mountain, right? And obviously he's Jesus, so he can like see everything. But uh, even if he's just human, he might be able to see them, but they can't see him. Um, and just like these guys are feeling alone, I think a lot of times in our life, when we get into trial, we feel alone, right? And the last test, was Jesus with them or not? He, he was with them, right? He was the one asking the question, right? But now he sends them out, and they're all alone, and they're scared, and they're tired, and it's just not a good situation, Okay? And, it, and in that mindset, when we're like that, it's really hard for us to trust God. I've shared this with you several times. My grandma and grandpa used to have this, um, a picture of this up in their bathroom. And I like it a lot. Uh, I like to change the first part a little bit. But basically it says, Lord, you told me when I decided to follow you. I like to change that to whenever I trust in you for eternal life. Because he says he's never going to leave us or forsake us. Okay, so, but either way, he's talking to a believer here. And he says, you would walk with me all the way. But I'm aware that during the most troubling times of my life, there's only one set of footprints. I just don't understand why, I, uh, or why when I needed you the most, you would leave me. And in he whispered, he being Jesus, My precious child, I love you and I'll never leave you, never ever, during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints in the sand, it was then that I carried you. And to me, this is so powerful because I feel like in times of trial, I feel alone, but I know I'm not alone. 
you know, and the disciples probably felt alone out there, right? Especially since Jesus was physically with them and then wasn't physically with them. They probably felt alone. And that's scary to, to go through a trial or do something hard by yourself, right? But we're not. We're not alone, okay? And the disciples aren't alone either. It just feels like they are, okay? And they're going to see Jesus physically come back too. But even if He doesn't physically come, He's with them. Okay, and Jesus is never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. That's a promise that we have. And so I really like that because it just shows, it reminds me that when I feel the most alone, Jesus is probably the most with me. You know what I mean? And so, um, do we believe the promises of God? Okay, yes, good. We do, okay, right now. But it's hard to in the trials of life. Um, and he says he's never going to leave us, yet we feel alone. Right? And he says he's going to give us wisdom if we ask, but we don't feel like we have wisdom. And he says he's going to provide if we seek him, but sometimes it doesn't feel like he's providing. And so, yes, we want to believe, and we do believe the promises of God, but in trials it gets really hard to. Um, he is with us. He is powerful. He doesn't lie. Uh, Jesus just showed them, okay, he just showed them who he was. He, pre- he made bread out of nothing. And that might have been to prepare them for this. Okay? And we'll see at the end of this that they didn't gain anything from the first one. But he did. He showed him who he was to prepare him possibly for this temptation, this trial, uh, the trial and then the temptation within it. And so that's what we're going to look at next is the temptation. And we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but this is really seen in Matthew. So you guys can flip over to Matthew if you want. Because this is where Jesus, um, and we see the temptation mainly come through Peter. Um, but I think it could probably apply to most of them. Uh, Philip was the guy last week that got the test, the main test, right? We also saw John, uh, I think John or Andrew a little bit. But Philip was the main guy. This one, Peter's the main guy that we see. Okay, and so look at verse 26. And this is Matthew. This is Matthew chapter 14. It says, When the disciples, actually, I have it up right there. Okay, so when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, okay, so what time of night is it? And verse 26. Three to six a.m. Yes, around three in the morning, maybe six a.m., somewhere in there. So, um, is it dark? Yeah, it's dark out. The storm is still going on, yes or no? Okay, and they're being driven and tossed by the wind. Okay, so all this is going on. Okay, and so when the disciples see him walking out on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. We know from Mark, if you turn over there, that Jesus was just going to pass him by. Okay, now he knows he's not going to, but he was just going to walk by him. He wasn't coming out there to help them. Okay, he's just going, to, which is interesting and kind of funny, not funny if they were them, but funny for us to look back on. But he's going to pass him by. But they cry out and they say, "It's a ghost! There's a ghost out there on the water." And uh, verse 27 says, "But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, "Take courage! It is I. Do not be afraid." And Peter said, "Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water." He said, "Come." And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Okay, so at this point, it's like this is like the most faith ever. Right? Like Peter in the middle of this raging storm, okay, he, he gets out and starts walking on the water because Jesus told him to. Okay, so to me, that's like pretty strong faith. And this also tells us that in trials, sometimes we can have great faith in trials, but the trial starts wearing us down, and then we lose heart. And we, and, we, and we stop trusting God like halfway through the trial. 
because it's hard and it, and it wears us down. Because look, this is exactly what happens to Peter. Look at him. But seeing the wind, okay, he's, he's out on the water. He's walking on the water. But he sees the wind. Okay, how can you see the wind in this circumstance? He sees the waves. He sees the effect of the wind. He sees the waves. That's exactly right. He might see the sails if they have any. They probably don't have any out right now. But he might see his sails. He sees the wind. He may see Jesus' hair blowing around. I mean, we don't know what he sees. Okay, but he sees the effect of the wind. Okay, so he sees that in verse 30. And he becomes afraid. And he begins to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And, you know, everybody gets on to Peter for this. But I wouldn't have got out. I would have been Andrew. I wouldn't have got out on the boat in the first place. Okay, and then Peter does do a good thing. When he does start to sink, he says, Lord, save me. He turns to Jesus immediately. Okay, look at verse 31. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him. And this is how we know that they failed this trial. Because looking at this from a human perspective, I would have been like, they succeeded. Like, that was so good. Like, he got out of the boat and walked on the water. But then look what Jesus says. He says, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Okay, so he tells Peter, Peter, why are you, why are you doubting? Okay, or all of them really. You, why are you guys doubting me? Okay, I just made bread out of nothing. And you don't think I can calm a storm? You don't think I can make you walk on the water? Like, I, I literally already made you walk on the water. And yet you're doubting when you see these, these things come. Okay, so the world and the flesh and Satan, they all tempt us to not trust God. Yet He proves over and over in our life and in the lives of other people that He is trustworthy. Okay, that song, we're going to sing it again today. Uh, we sang it this morning. But there's one line in it. You can listen to it. But it says, I get amnesia. Okay, what's amnesia? Where you forget stuff. Where you forget stuff. And he's talking about the Christian life, how he gets amnesia and who God is. Because God is trustworthy, but he forgets that he's trustworthy. And that happens to us too. And it happens to Peter right here. How many miracles has he seen Jesus do? One? Two? Three? Four? Five? Tons. Tons. Remember, if we're like two two years into Jesus' ministry here, and Peter's been with him, seeing all this stuff. He's seen paralytics healed, demon possession thrown out, bread created out of nothing, water into wine. He's seen uh, Peter's mother-in-law was sick, and Jesus went in there and said, she's well and she's well. Okay, He's seen all this stuff, and yet he doubts who God is. He doubts that Jesus can or will save him. We don't know which one, but that he can or will save him. And for us, we see stuff all the time too. I've seen God working in my life. Okay, I've seen Him do things in my life. And I've seen Him do things in other people's lives. And I have the Scripture where I see God doing stuff in, in people's lives in the Scripture. And yet, it gets into a trial and I start out good. And I'm like, yeah, I got, I got this great faith. And then time and circumstances wear on me. And I say, is God good? Is he good? Is, is, can he fix this? Is what he doing? Does he love me? Does he care about me? Those are the things that come through my mind. I start doubting who God is. Okay? Um, and so we think Peter, you know, man, only a few hours ago, Jesus, the living man, God, created bread right in front of you, and yet you can't trust him. And none of the disciples did, because they saw him walking on the water, they said, it's a ghost. I mean, they're like, it's a ghost. I mean, they should be like, hey, Jesus. You know, and even when they didn't, when Jesus said, hey, don't be afraid, it's me, they should be like, oh, good, hey, can you calm the storm down a little bit? You know? Uh, but they don't do that. And uh, Jesus says, you of little faith. Okay? And the, 
the big point of this part is that trials and temptations grow our faith. Okay, they grow our faith. They do. And we're going to see that next, the growth. Okay, we're going to see the growth. Um, we see it a little bit in these guys, okay, in Matthew and in Mark, mainly. Um, and mainly in Mark. But we see that growth happens throughout the, throughout the whole trial, but it's culminated when they see the miracle, or in this case, miracles. Okay, there's actually at least three miracles that Jesus does here. Okay, one of them is he's walking on the water, right? One of them, he calms a storm. And then look at, look at John. Turn over to John. Chapter uh, 6, verse 21. It says, So they were willing to receive him. They let him in the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land which they were going. So not only did he calm the storm, and not only did he uh, walk on the water, but whenever he got on the boat, he's like, all right, boat, be there. And it was there. So I mean, that's, that's creepy. Kind of weird, man. Like, but it's pretty cool. Like, and that happens a couple other times with different people. It happens in Acts with Philip. You can look at that. But there's the, all these miracles that happen, and the miracles are kind of like the culmination of like, okay, now they are trusting Christ, and we'll look, or trusting God, and we'll look at it. But first, I want to share this fable. Okay? This is an ASAP fable, uh, and it's about learning from the failures of others, or in this context, we could say learning from anything. You could learn from a mistake, a failure of others, or a mistake or a failure of yourself. Okay, the disciples learned uh, or didn't learn, and I think they did learn from the mistakes that they made before, and we can learn from not only their mistakes, but our own. Okay, the fable goes like this. A lion, a fox, and a donkey are all hunting together, and they go and they gather a huge amount of food, and now they have to decide how to divide the food up. So the lion, he asked the donkey to divide the food, and so the donkey chose to divide the food equally between the three. So he gave a third to the lion, third to himself and a third to the fox but this made the lion mad because he was the king of all beasts and so he used his paw and he killed the donkey so then the lion asked the fox to divide the food and the fox wasted no time at all he quickly gave a huge heap of food to the lion and a very small portion of food to himself and the lion asked the fox who taught you to divide so fairly and the fox replied I learned from the donkey okay and the reason I share that it's because we can learn from other people's mistakes. We can learn from other people's successes in the Scripture. Okay, we're not in the Scripture. And then we can also learn from our own mistakes and our own successes in trials. And these guys, I think, did learn. They did gain wisdom. And we should try and gain wisdom in all of our trials and tribulations. We're going to go to a couple other passages of Scripture really quick because I think they're important. And then we're going to look at Mark where it talks about uh, how they, I think, grew from this. First one's Proverbs 2, 1 through 6. This is just talking about how important wisdom is. Okay, because wisdom is important, and in trials, wisdom is especially important. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to my wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. If you cry out for insight or discernment and lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for his hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord, and you will discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. All right, I'm also going to turn to James. Yeah, I love James. And uh, you guys all know that because I quote it a lot. But if you want to, you can turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, James talks about trials and temptations. We looked at it last week. But it, it says a lot about our trials and temptations and how we should learn from them. Okay, and how we should act in them. Okay, look at verse 2. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, 
when you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And that, that endurance have its full effect so you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So the first thing, or the first several things we see here from this <coughs> is trials can be joy. Right? Trials can bring joy. And we all know this, right? But trials can only bring joy if you're responding correctly in them. Right? And then it says that uh, it once this faith produces endurance, so if I, if I have faith, if I trust God, if I trust that He is good, you know, I trust things about Him. He is good. He is holy. He is perfect. You know, all that kind of stuff. If I trust that in the trial, it produces endurance. Okay, but I like verse 4 because it says, you need to let that endurance have its full effect. Okay, and sometimes I think that James is kind of saying here like, hey, don't have endurance for a little while because it's not really endurance. You have to have the full effect of endurance. Have it throughout the whole thing and then allow that to sink into your mind and your heart and renew your mind with who God is. Okay, so that it can have this full effect. And when it has that full effect, it makes you mature and complete to where you're not lacking. And when we lack is when anxieties, fears, doubts, and all these things are in our life. But when we're mature and complete, it's when we're trusting God. Okay, but look at verse 5. It says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously and unbegrudgingly, and it will be given to him. So we ask <coughs> God for wisdom, and he gives it to us in every trial. He will. That's the promise of God. So we should be growing in wisdom in every trial. And I think you could take from this and from this passage that we looked at in John and in Mark and in Matthew that every time we have a new trial in our life, we should be more joyful and more mature and more complete and relying on God even more through every single trial. Now, we don't because we don't always trust God, but we should. Look at Mark. Okay, this is Mark 6. Back to the, the disciples, the guys, okay? Then, this is at the very end, he says, Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. And they were utterly astonished. Why? Because they had not gained insight from the incident of the loaves. Their heart was hardened. So these guys didn't get it when God made, which Jesus made, bread in front of them. But now, they are utterly astonished. Okay? Now if you go back to John... And I looked at Mark, and I looked at Matthew. If you go back to these books and look at the feeding of the 5,000, it doesn't say anywhere that they were astonished that he fed 5,000. Okay? And it's because they weren't looking at him in the right way in that first test. But now, they did. What's the difference in those two trials and those two tests? There's a lot of them, but one of them is the first one didn't really affect them that much. Right? Jesus is standing there. They're, it doesn't really indicate that they're the ones that are super hungry. It indicates that the, the people following are super hungry. It doesn't indicate that they don't have enough money for themselves to buy food. It indicates that it's, there's not enough money to buy the whole crowd food. Right? So it doesn't seem like they have a lot of skin in the game in the first one. You know what I mean? Like, if, if Jesus doesn't feed the 5,000, he's like, go get your own food. How does that affect the disciples? Like, personally. I mean, not really, right? I mean, they don't get to see the miracle and all that stuff, but it doesn't really affect them. Then they get out on the water and they're all alone, and what's at stake here? Their lives. Their lives. Yeah, not live. Their lives. Their lives are at stake now. So this trial is affecting them, and it's a lot harder trial. I mean, it's a lot harder test, right? Than the first one? I mean, the first one, Philip had to say, oh yeah, God, you can make food. 
The second one, it's like, I'm about to die. I need to trust that God is good in this trial and that He's in control of it. Okay, the second one's way harder. And that second way harder trial leaves them utterly astonished. And the first one, they didn't gain from it. And so I think that this tells us a lot of things. First is, you should gain wisdom from the small trials in life. Okay, they didn't. They didn't gain from a small trial. And it ended up biting them in the bigger trial. Okay, but it also should remind us that hard trials (coughs) are good. And they do bring more joy because we have to rely on God even more. Like, they didn't have to rely on God very much for the bread thing. Alright? But now, they have to rely on God a lot. And you see, you see a lot more growth out of this one than the one before. And that's how it is in our life. You know, if we have a small trial or something that we can handle on our own, you know, it, it just doesn't grow us in the same way. Right? I mean, I could... You know, Peter or Philip or whatever, they, they have a large crowd comes in with no food. Can they take care of that problem? No. Yeah, they can. Not in the same way Jesus did. They can't make bread. But what, they, what could they do? They could buy the food. Well, they didn't have enough money to buy the food, so they can't do that. They could say, go home. We don't have to feed you. Go home. Like, go get your own food. Right? They could say that. Uh, and so in one way, they could kind of take care of it on their own. You know, but then... This, it's like, how are they going to take care of this? They've been out there for eight hours trying to get across this thing, and they can't do it. So I get to this point where it's like, I recognize that I cannot do this on my own. And that's what we talked about a little bit last week. You know, some people say God's not going to give you anything you can't handle. They couldn't handle that. They couldn't handle that storm. But they could handle it with Christ, with God that could handle it. And so sometimes God does take us beyond our own limits. So we learn to rely on him more. And that's what, they, that's what he did here with these guys. He said, hey, go cross it. Go cross that, str- that, that lake by yourself. I'm going to go up here and pray. And knowing that they're going to run into this. And they run into this trial. And it stretches them and it grows them. And throughout this trial, they grow. Okay, so what about for us? Simple, as always, but hard. Okay, get wisdom. And the way you do this is not by waiting until you're in the middle of a lake, about to die, to trust God. Right? It's counting every trial as joy. It's counting every trial as joy. It's looking for wisdom. It's asking God for wisdom in every trial of your life. It's even asking God for wisdom in the trial of other people's lives. Or in the, looking to the Scripture for wisdom in, people, in the trials of those people's lives. Okay, we need to be doing this all throughout because a trial that does not help us grow is not a trial of joy. Okay, a trial that does not help us grow is not a trial a trial of joy. So if I go through a trial and I respond in an incorrect way and give into temptation in a trial, that is not joyful. Okay, James doesn't say consider it all joy, my brothers, when you experience various trials of various kinds and then leave it there and just say, hey, all trials bring joy. He says no. He says because when the testing of your you know that testing of your faith produces endurance. So if we're not producing endurance in our trials, little or big, they're not joyful, and we need to be producing um, this endurance, and that is relying on God in those tests and trials. We rely on Him, we run to Him, and we let Him lead us through those things. And it's like, man, that's going to bring us joy, because well, for a lot of reasons, but one because we don't have to rely on ourselves. I don't have to rely on me. And that brings me a lot of joy because it's like, man, God can get me through that. What else can He get me through? You know what I mean? And so get wisdom. 
Don't wait until there's something that's like life-altering to get this wisdom, to seek this wisdom, and to try and have this joy in these trials. Because if you do, it's going to be a lot harder than that one. Learn from the small things. Learn from the little trials. And get wisdom for the big trials down the road. Thanks for joining us for True to the Bible podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this lesson. If you have any questions about this lesson or any of the other True to the Bible podcasts, don't hesitate to contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope that you join us for our next lesson.